We are continuing once again in our series on wisdom, and um, I hope you guys are enjoying this. To me, wisdom is... It's kind of right at the heart of why we are here and why we gather. We are considering the deepest questions, the things that matter most, the things that should not just be some kind of abstract concept out there, but really engage with our day-to-day, everyday decisions that we make in life, how we live the good life. And um, there's a, a verse, I don't have a slide for it, I just threw it in last minute, but it's one of my favorite verses in um, the book of Jeremiah. Chapter 6, verse 16, which says, This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. One more time. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. I wish the verse ended there, but it it goes on to say, but you said we will not walk in it. And it's, it's sort of got this ominous tone to it, doesn't it? This, this invitation to stand and consider. I love so many things about this verse, this idea of crossroads, multiple paths. We're asking what is the good way? We're invited to the good way. It's an ancient way, which reminds us that we, to move forward, have to be looking backward. Not that we're going backward, but we're looking to those things that over time have been proven to be true. They've been tested. You've heard me talk about this, that C.S. Lewis says, every time you read a new book or a couple new books, you've got to go back and read an old book. Right. It's worth considering new ideas and discovering new uh, revelations as we grow. But um, there's something that roots us in that ancient path. There's a safety and a security there of something that's been proven over time. We're invited to walk in it. Our life is a journey. We're growing. We're moving forward towards a destination. And yet there's a texture when we're walking in the right way which is a soul at rest. Even when things get difficult, even when we go through trials, even when we face adversity, there's a restfulness in walking in this way of wisdom. And lastly, there's a choice. And this choice is always extended, always offered. It's always there and present. And yet we can certainly walk in our own way, in our own path, in our own direction. And for the wise, this offering is put before us every single day to choose the good path. And the Bible is filled with wisdom on how this is to be lived. And and as we talked about last time, one of the most important questions that you can answer is, who are going to be your companions on this journey that we don't go alone And so friendship becomes one of the most meaningful choices. It's one of the ways that we experience rest as people come alongside and help us on the journey. It's one of the ways that we experience the deep pleasure and joy of life is in connection, in harmony, in the loving relationship with each other. And so we talked about this last week, the importance of choosing wisely our friends, but not just that, becoming the type of friend that is painted for us in Proverbs a friend who loves at all times, and a brother who is born for adversity. 
We need to cultivate those kind of relationships. We need to go after friends like that and continue to invest in friendships like that. But what we talked about last week as well is that we need to become friends like that. That we're not just seeking to find those trustworthy friends or those friends who are true in adversity. We are trying to become people that love at all times. The kind of people who are born for adversity. And the way of wisdom, it's not just some destination that we arrive at. It's a transforming journey. Step after step as we follow this road, we're becoming wise, becoming these type of people. And as we go through life, this discovery that it's in some of the hardest times as we gather together that we experience some of the richest moments of life. And this is what I was sharing about last week. It's kind of a, a startling thing to find yourself in that place of adversity with someone else and to realize that it's sacred space. And too often we don't have the capacity for that, right? We run from adversity. We, we flee to that place of comfort. But the true friends are the ones who remain in that space. And learning to become that kind of person introduces us to some of the most meaningful and holy work. Being present as people heal and grow. Inviting people into that place of our lives as well. And I think one of the reasons that Scripture is so incredibly valuable to us is that that concept if you're like me, is counterintuitive. That as I pick paths, I so often am looking for the comfortable road. The, the simplest, easiest path to follow. That I'm looking at the one that's going to prosper me the most as opposed to consider somebody else as more important than our, myself. And I think life just sort of practically teaches us that, that we go through this life and there's a wisdom of this world that says, hey, survival is the key. Which is why I'm so thankful for something like Scripture that points us to a wisdom that's a little bit counterintuitive. And there's two kinds of revelation in this world, two kinds of ways that we glean information. And this is going to be your little seminary moment for the day. Here's your little theology class. But we, we d- define revelation into two categories, that of general revelation and special revelation. Have you heard of this before? General revelation is the kind of wisdom that you can just glean by looking at the world around you. And the truth is, the world is filled with knowledge. And Scripture points this out as well. For instance, Psalm 19, 1 through 4, says that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. That day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world I think according to this passage, God's existence and power can be clearly seen through observing the creation around us. I think this is partly why I, I like to bring physicists into the story. Because so often you have these physicists that are not speaking religiously. They're just sort of pragmatically going, yeah, I'm just sort of following the beauty. Following the elegance as they're doing their research. 
Understanding that this unlocks deep and meaningful truth. And, and what you find out is that the creation itself is brilliantly designed. And you learn, oh, something about the heart of the designer. Something about this majestic God loves intricacy, complexity, simplicity. Or Romans 1.20, which says, since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. We're surrounded by this knowledge of who God is. And it's our responsibility, in fact, to pay attention, to learn from it, to glean from it truths and wisdom. But, but the fact is, that kind of revelation is only part of the equation. Special revelation is this kind of message that comes from the outside in. So do you see the difference? Instead of building on some theory of wisdom, it, it permeates through and it reveals this bit of heaven to us. It shows us something that we wouldn't just naturally get to on our own. And like Timothy, uh, Paul's letter to Timothy says, all scripture is breathed out by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And we need both of these things. These things work in harmony, that, that we're meant to look at the general revelation and understand God through his creation. But we're also meant to listen to these words that come to us from outside, that point us to things that we wouldn't naturally get to on our own. For instance, an example of this is, uh, I've read this verse plenty of times to you, but from Psalm 8, he says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? General revelation leads us to this place of humility. And then David goes on and says that you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Not what we would expect. We look at the creation and it's vast. We look at our lives and they're small, insignificant. They're like grass where we're, you know, one day alive, the next moment withering away. And we look at the behavior of man and go, is our role here on the earth one that's positive towards the creation or negative? We um, tend to be pretty selfish, materialistic, hostile, judgmental creatures. You might think that God would look at us like we're told in the matrix that man is some sort of virus on this planet, that we bring more harm than good. But God in his special revelation says, no, that's not who you are. Not at your core. Made a little lower than the angels. Made for relationship with God. And the Bible tells us this story that feels too good to be true. That this God has not just created us, but designed us for a relationship with him. And even in that brokenness is a God who pursues and pursues and pursues. I was having this conversation with Shirley and we were talking about, she was sharing with me this book of history that she's reading where the, the unique contribution that comes within Judaism is this idea of a God who chooses a people. 
And think about this. Before then, you just had these powers, these sort of magical powers all around you that you were kind of making deals with and bargaining with. How do you avoid making the gods angry through sacrifice? And maybe you'll get a bigger crop, right? And if things don't go well, then you sacrifice more and you appease the anger of this God. And all of a sudden, now we have God showing up to a people and saying, no, you are my chosen people. God takes a man like Abraham and leads him to a new country and starts a new tribe through him and says, you are going to be the blessed tribe. Why? Because through you is going to come the blessing. That God's going to pour his blessing out on this man, on his legacy, and through him bring the world into a state of renewal and right relationship back with God. That's what the story is about. But the special revelation doesn't end merely with Scripture or with the prophets. It continues on, and and this God comes right into the middle of the story. And in Hebrews 1, 1 through 3, it says, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his Son. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. And Israel had been through enslavement. They had been through persecution in Egypt, eventually in Babylon. They were looking for this Messiah to come who was going to reveal God's heart, this justice that was going to come down and fight for them. And what they find is that when it does come, it looks a whole lot different than what they expected. This God who they expected to come with a sword to conquer their enemies comes in humility, in meekness. This is what we celebrated all Advent. This profound miracle of who God is. Not at all what we were hoping for, right? We wanted liberation and instead God comes in and models a whole new type of wisdom. A wisdom that's about humility and sacrifice. A God who is more than just will, but a God at his core who is love. And not just love, but sacrificial love. And Jesus comes down, he embodies this for us, and invites us to follow him on his path, the narrow way of wisdom. And Jesus says this in John 15, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. What does this mean? This is, again, a whole other level of revelation. That God is not just coming down and creating for himself a people that will serve him. But once again, this reminder that God has called us to intimacy. That as we look at the heavens, we're humbled, and yet we find a God who chooses us. But when we look even closer, 
It's a God who desires relationship, not just with us, but with you. Do you see the difference there? The texture of that. A God who knows you, pursues you, desires friendship with you. And this idea of friend of God, it's not like this is brand new. If we look back in the Old Testament, we find, well, a God who comes alongside Adam and Eve in the garden and meets them in the cool of the evening and walks with them. A God that not just leads Abraham into a new country and a new people, but refers to him as his friend. A God who says that about Moses, that I speak to him face to face as one would to a friend. And so the friendship, it's in there. But all of a sudden we realize, oh, no, no, this is the plan, that it's not just reserved for a chosen few. This is what God desires with humanity. In fact, maybe this is what the story is all about. That this path of wisdom that we're pursuing is a path of transformation. It's a path of freedom. It's a path of salvation. But ultimately, it's a path that leads us deeper and deeper into intimacy and friendship with God. And this isn't just some concept, right, that we hold on to. It's the way we live our life each day growing further and further into intimacy. And God longs for that friendship with you. And this is, I think, again, if we think about it, in some ways it's just too good to be true. I remember one year I was working up at Forest Home, and um, it was my first summer up there, so I got to know this whole new staff, and it was just a fantastic summer working at camp. And... Um, But at the end of campus, people kind of had to go back to school. Some people, former staff, came back. And I remember there was a a guy coming up to camp that everybody, like, adored from the year before. And I didn't know who this guy was, but I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. Um, (laughs) Great, you know. He's going to come throw everything off. But but this guy comes in, Kent, and he was just... Fantastic, right? Like kind of such a great guy. You saw why everybody was just magnetic. But, and this, you know, still sounds funny to say, but like Kent wanted to be my friend and pursued me. He saw something in me that drew him towards me and became such a dear friend of mine, taught me how to surf back in the day and we'd play guitar together. I was in his wedding and I, I think about this. As goofy as that sounds, to feel pursued in friendship, it's such a unique category. But when somebody looks at you and goes, oh, no, no, I want to get to know you, right? There's something in you that's worth pursuing. That that's like friendship is deeply honoring. It's not somebody that can do something for you, right? I mean, we have plenty of those. I feel like Arthur Brooks calls those like deal friends versus real friends, right? We've got friends that were like, oh, this person has something to offer me here. There's that thing. But there's a whole different sort of friendship about where you see something in somebody else that you deeply admire and desire to pursue. You're going, I want to draw close to that. I want to learn from that. I think this is what Jesus is saying. He's looking at you and he's going, 
I don't want you to be my servant. I want you to be my friend. Not out of some neediness, but God looks into you and goes, oh, no, no, no. What I see in your heart is something of deep value. A relationship that that only you can provide to God, right? Because there's only one of you, that that friendship is such a mutual thing. It's something that is co-created. I was reading the theologian Diana Butler Bass, and she says, Friendship with God is not a biblical side story. Rather, it is central to the promises and faithfulness of being a called people in which all our friends, companions, intimates, siblings, and beloved. And this idea of friendship, I think, in some ways, we can it can make us uncomfortable. It can sound too familiar. In fact, Freud pretty much ridiculed the idea. He um, concluded that the invisible friend of God was an illusion, a fairy tale, a projection. He called it an infantile prototype, the neuroses. And there may be some truth in that, in that we could come up with a, a view of God that's like, well, it reminds me of that shirt that they used to sell at Urban Outfitters that said, Jesus is my homeboy. Do you remember that? It, it, not like, I don't, sure, it just always makes me cringe, right? Is that what Jesus is talking about here? I want to be your homeboy. Or your bro, like God wants to be our bro, right? And you could come up with this sort of sappy view of God. It, it reminds me of Lewis would say, we don't want a father in heaven. We want a grandfather in heaven that just is like, wants everybody to be happy, right? And, 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 but, you know, I, I think that with this, I think we're right to recoil a bit from that. I don't think this is what Jesus is getting at. It makes me think of that from that horrible movie Dogma about the buddy Jesus, this this guy that's like, I got you, right? And and, and we go, is this what he's talking about? And I want to say, no, this is not. He, he's not just saying that he wants to be our bro. But what I think he's showing us is that not just a unique side of God that desires friendship, but a whole new depth to friendship, which is why he says right after that, I've called you friends. And then he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Right? That's what we're called to. A friend who loves at all times. A brother born for adversity. That to be friends with God, to pursue that relationship, is to learn to lay one's life down for others. This is what Jesus models. This is the depth of his love. This is what we're invited to live into. That the path of wisdom, this ancient path that we walk, is teaching us to learn to love like Jesus so that we can enter into deeper intimacy and relationship with God. And I think sometimes we might think, well, I'd be willing to do that. I mean, like, think of my kids. Like, I'd be willing to lay down in traffic for them. Like... I would die for them, or I'd die for a friend. I would jump in front of a bus for plenty of people. But I think it's it's not just talking about that, this sort of heroic extreme. The laying down our life, I think, is often a little bit more um, just natural and unnatural. 
It's self-denial. It's when we feel impatient, responding in grace. It's when things don't come out in our favor that we learn to, to respond compassionately instead of holding on to our rights and, and clinging to our way. It's yielding ourselves in humility. That's what I think Jesus is saying. To lay down our life looks like this. In Philippians, you know these verses in 2, 3 through 5. It means to do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. It's the more, not as significant as yourselves, but more. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And here's the thing, that, that this way of love, we go, this is the way that we love God, to lay ourselves down in obedience. But it's also the way we love others, and that by loving others in this way, we actually love God. That these two are inseparable, that, that the love of God and the love of others are so intertwined that it's almost re- repetitive. Jesus tells us, love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And oh yeah, the second is just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. That to be in friendship with God is not only to respond to God in worship, it's to go to the margins and love the least. This was my... The other part of my conversation with Shirley. Sorry, Shirley. I'm not going to tell this story because it's your story to tell. But, but Shirley was talking about experiencing God in such a unique way the other day and taking soup to a cold weather shelter here in town. And what she witnessed there in this selfish love amongst the people that are there, selfless love. And in the humility of that, Shirley came away feeling the sacredness And I think you said something like, why don't we experience that in church? (laughs) Which is a great question, right? And and I don't think it's an either-or thing, but I think you're right. I think that God is here, right? We're told God inhabits the praises of his people. As we sing hallelujah, as we respond in joy, God is there. But God is there in a unique way when we go to the margins. And if we want to really experience the intimacy with God, we have to move out to that place of discomfort. In Luke, it says, the son of of man has come eating and drinking. And you say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But that's where Jesus moved to. He gravitated towards the margins. He didn't stay in the comfortable center. He went out there where people are hurting and in pain, where people are looked down upon or overlooked and not seen. And Jesus tells us, whatever you do to them, you do unto me. So to love them sacrificially is to love God sacrificially. To befriend them is to befriend God. And this truth, this is the way of wisdom. And once again, it's probably a bit counterintuitive to us. We think to love God, you just follow all the rules. And in that 
story of the sheep and the goats, Jesus is going to say to all the rule followers, I, I don't know you. Right? Like, yeah, sure, you obeyed all these rules, but was that the point? That wasn't the point, right? The, the point isn't like checking all the right boxes. The, the point is intimacy. And for us to be known means loving the least. For them to recognize us is the same as God recognizing us. And this is where it's hard, right? Because it's always an interruption. It's always taking us outside of where we're comfortable. And this is again why the the road to wisdom is narrow. We wish it was easier than it is. But it's also the way to life. It's the way to the deepest longings of the heart. And as Shirley's talking about coming away from there, you can just see the blessing. She's walked into sacred space. But this is the invitation to us all the time, is to move towards that space and to savor the goodness of it. That what feels like cost turns out to be treasure. And we live in a world where we're all pursuing comfort. And, and what we're finding is that pursuit of comfort is leading us into deeper and deeper isolation, deeper and deeper loneliness. That over our lives, we withdraw from relationship. We withdraw from friendship. We're going the other way. That path that we so often pursue, that we measure through externals like money or success or You know, whatever that is, a title, that's what's going to make me happy. It doesn't. It just creates a greater and greater need. I was reading that statistic this week where they were saying, the more money you have, the more money you think you need. Isn't that interesting? That the average American, if you ask them how much they need per year to be happy, would say a million dollars each. Interestingly enough, the poorer you are, the less you ask for. The richer you are, the more you think you need. This is where these paths, the the Proverbs says there's a way that seems right to man, but in the end leads to death. And we're told to relearn in so many ways. that To go back into the ancient paths, I think even for us, is a way of revisiting maybe what we used to know. Which is why Jesus says to come in with the faith like a child. That we used to understand how to make friends. We used to understand how to live in this way with a generous heart. It's time that that kind of isolates us from each other. And so while I think this idea of friendship that Jesus is holding out is incredibly deep and challenging and one for us to grapple with, in another sense, it's it's fairly simple. Just learning how to be friends. And there's this picture that a few years ago went viral, and I went back, and this is a good thing about the Internet, right? You can just go find everything. But um, do any of you see this picture here? Do you have that picture, Greg? Um, this is a picture that went, like, in 2019 of this little kid, Connor, who's on the left, who is autistic and was walking into school on the first day of school and just crumpled with the pressure of it all. And he was over like in the corner crying. And then this little boy, Christian, 
interestingly enough, (laughs) goes over to him, takes his hand, and walks him into class. And, you know, I think sometimes when we're talking about these things, it feels like some big theological abstract idea when it's not. That I think sometimes this is what we're looking to do, is to just be a friend to somebody. And I think there's something so powerful in the taking of another's hand. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at, is that that there's two parts in that photo. There's there's the one reaching out and extending, and then there's the one reaching up and receiving. And I think both are risky. Both are vulnerable. And the truth is that we find ourselves in both situations, that we're that kid that's just terrified and scared and helpless and not sure what we're doing and winging our way through life. And we've got this God that says, take my hand. That's the good Samaritan reaching out to us in our pain. And in humility, us saying, okay, acknowledging our need, trusting enough to take that hand back. And then Jesus says, now you go do the same. You go find the people sitting by themselves in tears and take their hand and lead them into class. You go be a friend. That this is what comes with this, that with the clasping, there's like almost a a deal being made, right? We're accepting something, but also committing to something to be that type of person. There were times where I feel like in my life I can look back and feel God come in and take my hand. I've told you about one so vivid when I was like in seventh grade feeling so lonely. I just moved and feeling so alone and reading scripture and feeling God come into that space and take my hand and comfort me. But what's interesting is there was another time like that, not that long ago where I was feeling that, that deep sense of isolation. And I remember praying, God, I need to feel your love. Would you come like into this place and comfort me? And my phone rang and I looked down and it was my friend Paul and he was like, Hey, let's go to lunch. And so I said, yeah, okay, I'll be there. And I hung up and then my phone rang again and he's not here, but it was Chuck Brewer. And he was like, Hey, my wife, Christine told me I should just come kidnap you and take you to Oahu. And I was like, I should have prayed this sooner. Like, Thank you, God. (laughs) And I think there are times in life where God like sort of comes in and just almost like pours out far more than we deserve. But I remember thinking, oh my gosh, like when we love each other, this is the holy work that we get to participate in is to be that vessel of God's love to somebody else. That's how the system works. Isn't that profound? That he goes, I'm going to love people. I'm going to love the world, but I'm going to do it through you. 
I can recall times where I've prayed for people and all of a sudden felt like with putting my hand on them, this enormous love. And it's going to sound terrible, but I go, I know it's God's because I don't love this person that much, right? (laughs) Where you're like, oh my gosh, right? And the truth is, I think whether we feel that or not, that's... That's the profound truth is God saying, let me show them my love through you. But I always have come away from that experience. And it's only happened a few times, but each time going, oh my gosh, you love me that much. That to feel God's love flow through you for somebody else is a reminder that God goes, that's how I feel about you as well. We experience that love as we love others. And so it's not just this sort of reciprocal thing. It's this joining together of these two realities. To love others like Christ loved them is to be loved by Christ. Special revelation, right? Who saw that coming? It's brilliant. It's not where we go in our path of wisdom. It's what we have to be shown. And it's humble, humbling, it's vulnerable, it's risky. But here's the deal is God's saying, oh, there is so much there. I keep coming back to this passage, but it's because I'm trying to wrap my head around this, this passage in Ephesians 1. And I'm going to read it again just because I want us to soak in this. It says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. That's the whole thing right there. It's the whole story. God's plan, God's choosing, God's wisdom to lavish us with grace. And for us, we just reach up and say, okay, we accept it, as humble as that is. If you've never done that, you just reach up and take that hand. That is the promise. God says, I want to draw you into that. But as friends, he never yanks you to your feet, right? He never clutches you. He only offers and invites. Because that's what friendship does. It respects our choice in the matter. We get to decide if we're going to take that hand. But that offering is this lavish love of God that we get to on this journey discover more and more and more of. As we follow, we grow in our capacity to receive and to give that love. We participate in it. As Teresa of Avila said, God has no hands but yours. Yours are the hands which with which he blesses all the world. Ours are the hands. We are the ones reaching out. God through us.
God's friendship is always contingent on love, compassion, empathy, going beyond what we imagine is possible. And it's his command to love. And if we reach out in love, friendship is the result. Even friendship with God. Friendship is mutual, a hand extended, and another reaching back. Some questions for you. How does it feel to think of yourself as God's friend? It's worth thinking on. Is it difficult to receive this kind of love? And is it difficult to return it? Sometimes just remembering that can transform a situation when we find ourselves overwhelmed or alone or on our own to realize God is there, God is present. God comes to us intimately as friends. Can we receive it? Can we return it? Number two, can you think of a time where you felt God take your hand? I mentioned one of mine to you. Where and when was it? Can you remember how it felt? It's worth savoring that, even remembering kind of the texture of the moment. I think as we remember the, the texture of where God shows up in those moments, it helps us to, to pay attention to the right things so that we see it again and again. And number three, are there people in your life whose hand you're reluctant, reluctant to take? What is it that holds you back? What is at risk? And this for all of us, this week be praying for an opportunity to love God by taking the hand of someone in need. Would you stand with me? So we've got like a bounty of food. Vicki High put together the meal today and she said, just so you know, there's lots of food, so eat up. But um, enjoy this time again. This time is designed to get to know each other better, to grow in friendship with each other. But this, this week, I would pray as we go from here that we would carry this in our hearts, this incredible revelation of a God who pursues us, pursues us for the sake of intimacy and friendship, and that we would say yes to that, and that we would see the opportunity to reach out and provide that for others. As you go, I pray God blesses you and keeps you. May God pour out his grace upon you and lavish you with it. May God lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. God bless you. Thanks, you guys.